The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 366, powered by Rageworks, broadcasting live Wednesday, September 14th, 2016. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. On Wednesday nights, we cover MMA and wrestling, and Thursdays, we shift gears and jump into gaming and entertainment. Our broadcast time is 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, both for our Wednesday shows and our Thursday shows. If you're on the West Coast, that will be an 8.30 p.m. start time. You can watch this episode of My Take Radio live on mtrlive.com. We are also doing a video simulcast to... Stream up, Vaughn Live, Restream, YouTube Live, and Twitch, as well as Daily Motion. If you want to only listen to an audio feed, you can get the official Mixler app, M I X L R, for Android or iOS devices. Punch in My Take Radio, and you'll be able to check out uh, 96K stereo audio for this episode. In addition to that, archives are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and tune in radio as well as on RageWorks.net. Just punch in your favorite show, including MTR, and you can find previous show archives there as well. And of course, if you can't watch the live video, you can find it on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash official RageWorks, and you'll be able to watch this episode as well as any of our previous episodes. Lots to discuss this week. Before we get into it, a couple of housekeeping Items I wanted to get out of the way. Uh, This week, there will not be a gaming and entertainment edition of My Take Radio. We will actually be covering an event tomorrow and thus will not have a live show. Due to that, obviously, we will make sure to give you guys this episode as quickly as possible once we wrap, as well as new episodes of TRSS and some of our other shows as well. We'll be back next Thursday for that, uh, that particular installment of mtr figured we'd get that out of the way another thing a lot of people were uh, asking about were issues accessing facebook links for the site via 
their mobile device. Slick brought this to my attention a couple of times, and I did not notice it or experience it until very recently. And um, turns out you have to make an adjustment on the Facebook application on your device to allow external links. Slick brought that, brought that to my attention, and since uh, executing it myself and a few other people that I've directed to do that, they have been able to access our site on their mobile devices. Now, again, this is a Facebook setting, so make sure to check your Facebook app if you're having any issues, and you should be able to access the site, especially since we have made it as mobile-friendly as possible. Again, if you are using the Facebook app and you click a, a RageWorks link and you're unable to access it, please check your settings and look for the setting to allow external links. So I figured I'd get that out. In addition, I know many of you have been waiting for us to make our debut on uh, iHeartRadio as well as Spotify. Still trying to iron out all the details, uh, not going as smoothly as we had liked, but you know it's in progress. Of course, once it is 100% official, we will definitely make an announcement on RageWorks.net. The other thing I did want to mention is a lot of people have been asking about individual subscriptions for each show's. For each of our shows on the RageWorks network, you can do that by taking the RSS feed for the show of your choice off the site and dumping it into your into your podcatcher of choice. If you are running into any issues doing that, please feel free to reach out via social media or via email, either rich at RageWorks.net or mtrhost at mytakeradio.com, and I will do my best to walk you through it, but that's one of the easiest ways to get a particular show of your choice. I know that many of you have been asking for individual shows to be listed on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio, but that does require a lot of management uh, on my part and just a, a, a big spread in terms of just being able to monitor everything and allowing things to run smoothly. I know a lot of you guys want to do that, but the easiest way is to, to just take the RSS feed for the show of your choice and drop it right into your podcatcher of choice, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, or any other podcatcher, and you'll be able to get those shows. Now, I know somebody asked me uh, Monday about broadcasting to Facebook Live. I know that Josie's boy from Call Me When It's Over, as well as our very own Jay Santi, broadcast to Facebook Live, but they do it through their personal Facebook pages. And while I have no problem doing that, I just feel that my personal Facebook is exactly that, personal. And because of that, I just feel that it would be a disservice to, you know, just add people I don't know for the sake of broadcasting on Facebook. Now, there is a way to broadcast the show to our brand page or even to our RageWorks group page, and we are ironing that out. We've done a little bit of testing uh, behind the scenes, and we should be able to do it. But as always, I got to direct you guys to mtrlive.com, best way to do it. Videos there, chat room is there, audios there. I know you guys want to stay in the warm embrace of Facebook, but it just becomes another thing that we have to test, monitor, and keep an eye on. And again, we definitely want to try and do that, but it's not something that is super high priority. Obviously, if there's a large outpouring of people that want us to do broadcasting to Facebook Live, we will obviously expedite it, but it's not something where we're going to go and we're going to jump completely onto Facebook Live. I know some of my um, my colleagues in the in the podcast game are doing that, and they're broadcasting directly to Facebook. But they also have 
uh, verified Facebook pages, which is one of the big hurdles you got to deal with. And, you know, in order for us to make sure that we can do what we do on a weekly basis, we want to make sure that what we give you guys on a weekly basis is running smoothly and to throw just more additional prep work into it is just going to hinder the experience for you guys. So I figured I would answer that. Um, I did get an inquiry and I'm not going to put this person on blast about forums. We're not doing forums, not doing it. We've tried. It, it was a pain in the ass. Slick can attest to this. Use the Facebook group. It's the easiest way to do it. It's not super hardcore lockdown. And we have a pretty, a pretty decent set of rules in there that Pete, that, you know, 90% of the people that, that pop in abide by. So by all means, head there. If you need the URL, please don't hesitate to ask. We do post in the group on a consistent basis. And it's not just myself and Slick and the rest of the Rageworks team, but also listeners and readers participating and exchanging, you know, exchanging ideas and having conversations as well. It's a pretty chill spot. We don't really go too crazy in there. I think I've only had to ban in since the group's existence uh maybe one person or two at most because of spamming and other bullshit but outside of that that's our community either on the direct facebook fan page or via the facebook group and of course you can reach any of us on social media as well all right so just to recap no gaming and entertainment show tomorrow there will only be one show this week all right so what do we have on deck, man? <laughs> a lot of shit. Um, CM Punk's MMA debut and the crazy, crazy card that was UFC 203. We are also going to get into some of the other MMA news of the week. Of course, on the wrestling side, we're going to talk Backlash. We're going to talk about Raw. We're going to talk about SmackDown Live, Alberto Del Rio's departure, what's going on with Paige, and the wrestling news of the week. As always, if you want to participate, mtrlive.com to jump in the chat, or if you want to call in and sound off on any of the stuff that we're talking about, 347-324-3541-347-324-3541. Let's jump into some MMA, shall we? All right, so as always, we try to do the bugs of these events. It's easier than going match by match, which, again, just becomes very time-consuming. And for those of you that don't know, the bugs are the bad, the ugly, and the good. I have a notorious reputation for delivering bad news extremely well, so I figured why not make it part of a segment. So without any further ado, let's talk about the bugs of UFC 203 getting the ball rolling with the bad the bad definitely cm punk for a lot of reasons as many of you know when i did my fight predictions last week i picked cm punk because like anything else anything can happen in the sport of mixed martial arts dark horses can run away with victories guys that you never thought would win a title in a million in a million years win it in devastating fashion etc 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 as many of us knew, CM Punk came into this fight with Mickey Gall with a 0-0 record. No amateur fights, 
no amateur experience, just dedication in the gym and a determination to try and go out there and give it his best. And obviously the the inexperience was a big factor in him losing. He was dispatched fairly quickly uh, by Mickey Gall, uh, taken down rear naked choke nighty night. And it was a wrap for CM Punk's MMA aspirations. But a couple of things I got to say, a lot of people are talking about CM Punk getting $500,000 in salary. And we'll get into that. I want to talk about what this guy, what the, what the organization did and what UFC, well, let me rephrase that, what the UFC was hoping for and what CM Punk did. The organization was hoping on, you know, they were, they were on pins and needles hoping that they would get some, some modicum of success with CM Punk that they, that they got with Brock Lesnar. Obviously, Brock Lesnar is a unique case, and we've talked about this before. What I do have to say is that CM Punk, whether you love him or hate him, puts he puts asses in seats. Everybody in the professional wrestling landscape, whether it was bloggers, uh, forums, Reddit, Facebook groups, social media chatter, everyone was talking about CM Punk. Everyone was talking about him. Good, bad. CM Punk was the, the was the driver for UFC 203. Yes, Stipe Miocic was defending his belt, but everything, every sound bite, every news clip, everything floating around the web building up to this card was about CM Punk's w, uh, UFC debut after departing WWE. Now, we all know CM Punk had plenty of time to get ready they chronicled a lot of his training in the Evolution of Punk documentary. Um, this is how I see it. CM Punk went out there. He had a name. He had the, the fan base to, to get people interested. And the UFC took a gamble. Did it blow up in their face? Sure. But CM Punk went in there, fought a guy with, with, with experience, and he lost. A couple of takeaways. You know, people are like, oh, yeah, well, you know... Anybody, anybody that got paid what Punk got paid is going to go in there and get their head beat in. Okay, that's fine. But at the end of the day, CM Punk went out there and he took his beating like a man. He was humble. And, you know, where, where he goes from here remains to be seen. But at the end of the day, you got to ask yourself, was CM Punk being beaten so soundly un- unexpected? I got to say this. With a guy coming in with no with no i with no idea of what active MMA competition is like, you know the 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 odds are he was going to lose. But like I said, a lucky punch, a lucky kick, anything, he could have won. Because at the end of the day, nobody saw him fight before. All we were relegated to watching was tape, whether it was the evolution of Punk or anything else for that matter. All we were doing was watching tape. And for me, I feel that, you know, the gamble that the UFC took may or may not have paid off. We'll see when we get the when we get the numbers. For Mickey Gall, it was a star-making moment. He fought a guy who had, you know, who was recognized for for his accomplishments in professional wrestling and to make take away what what you will, but CM Punk and any conversation revolving around CM Punk's MMA debut had Mickey Gall in the mix. All eyes were on him. Who is this kid? Where did he come from? 
what 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 did he do to gain this opportunity to welcome CM Punk into the UFC, etc., 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 etc. And the way I look at it is the CM Punk experiment was not a success, but he got his first loss. He got the jitters out of the way. Now he goes back. The pressure's off. He can train. He can come back. They may give him another opponent or Dana White may just pull the plug on the experiment altogether. But at the end of the day, CM Punk is serious about fighting. He wants to continue. And who, you know, what organization wouldn't take him at this point? And that's what I'm saying. You know, it, it's one of those things where you love the guy, you hate the guy, but you're going to want to see it. You're going to want to see either CM Punk getting his ass kicked or CM Punk winning. And at the end of the day, the UFC gets your money regardless. Now, do I feel that, you know, Mickey Gall's post-fight conversation and, and, and the hype machine and how, how uh, emotional he was was necessary? That depends. I know a lot of people have said, and I said it initially, I was like, listen, you know, you're, you're really hype for beating a guy who never fought before. You know, it's, it's the equivalent of, of, you know, me and my boss getting into the cage and I have some martial arts experience. He doesn't. I, I, I beat him and then I'm running around the cage like I won the lotto. It, it doesn't work. At the end of the day, you have to look at it like this. It was a star-making moment for Mickey Gall and it was a rude awakening for CM Punk. It's a question of, do I, do I reset, do I reevaluate, and do I continue, or do I take my ball and go home? And again, CM Punk, I, I've, I have, I've had mixed feelings about CM Punk for as long as I can remember. In terms of his contributions to the world of professional wrestling, there are too many to list. From his work in TNA to his stellar career in Ring of Honor, to the pipe bomb promo in WWE, to the countless matches he had, to the great moments that he gave us. There's a lot that can be said. But there's also the, the side of Punk that we know is just very, you know, he, he's not good with his fans. I mean, you know, good or bad. I understand the instances where the guy doesn't want to be bothered or he's eating or he's in a restaurant or he's in the bathroom or whatever the case may be. Totally get that. But there are instances where the interactions are on a more cordial basis, and sometimes he comes off a bit douchey, you know? And that that doesn't always resonate well, and I know a lot of fans that are, you know, hardcore wrestling fans have had, um, you know, the, the, their reactions and their interactions with Punk have, haven't been great. You know, what What can I say? But I will say that it was it was definitely bad. It was It was bad for him. To be dispatched that quickly, but I got to say this: there, are, there are plenty of guys in the in MMA that have tapped out to strikes, that have taken the punishment that Punk that Punk took in terms of strikes, and they've tapped due to strikes. He he got he got choked out, he lost, and he got choked out. But at the end of the day, you know, he went in there, which is more than I can say for most people. Yes, he went in there, and there was a dangling carrot of five hundred thousand dollars. But I, I think that if any of us would have had the opportunity to go in there and train for two years and get the opportunity for $500,000, hell, $100,000, we would jump at the chance as well. But like I said, it was a gamble that the UFC took and a gamble that Punk took to see if he could hang. And we're going to wait to see how it shakes out. Simple as that. Now, the really bad thing about UFC 203 was Alistair Overeem's performance against Stipe Miocic. 
Aside, besides the fact that he ran around the fucking cage, ran. It was, I was, you know, uh, Jimbo Slice joked about it and he called it Irish cardio because of how Conor McGregor, um, you know, ran from Nate Diaz, which obviously many people will debate that in different circles. But at the end of the day, you know, Overeem ran from Stipe to the point where he was looking back to see if Stipe was following him. I'm, I'm like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? And Overeem is a tough motherfucker. You know, he's a dude that I've seen separate guys from consciousness for more times than I can count. And to see that was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking to see. In addition to that, you know, Overeem saying that that Stipe tapped and all this shit, you know, that was just crazy. And Joe Rogan, you know, pretty much saying, let's go to the videotape and pretty much destroying any any validity to that argument was it was just very, very cringe inducing, which I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later because Joe Rogan made a very interesting statement on social media about that. And I'll get into it later on. But I just Overeem's performance was just fucking terrible, terrible. And again, I'm looking at it from the perspective of it's not like it's not like you haven't been here before. You know, it, it, it was just I, I was not digging it. Definitely was not. Um, in, and those were just, like I said, the bad. When it comes to the ugly, uh, Travis Brown and Fabricio Verdum was both good and ugly. And I'll tell you why. It was good because you saw a, a 260-pound man do a Liu Kang flying kick, uh, that being Fabricio Verdum. The fact that he didn't KO Travis Brown at that moment was insane. And um, Jimbo Slice, he was watching the fight with us, and he said, he's like, if Travis Brown would have been up against the cage and eaten that kick, he'd probably be, he'd be dead. He'd be unconscious instantly. And, um, you know, the post-fight shenanigans where Verdum had to had to teep, do a Muay Thai teep to uh, Edmund Tarvedian, who was the, the coach for um, Travis Brown and Ronda Rousey, who people have a love-hate relationship with him. Um, I just... Travis Brown, he was training at Jackson's MMA. He was doing well there. I don't know what the fuck happened. Not the same Travis Brown I've seen fight before. He just, he looked lost out there. I don't know if it was because the the game plan didn't come together. I don't know if it was that the head kick rattled his brain. I I don't know, but it was fucking ugly. Bowling shoe ugly in the words of Jim Ross, the way that Brown performed, especially because he, he, that he's not a guy that performs like that, and it just it just looked bad. And I mean, don't get me wrong, Verdum is a crazy son of a bitch, and he was pushing the pace, trying to take the fight to the ground. He was really hype, really aggressive, but it was an ugly fight and an ugly performance from a guy who usually doesn't perform like that. That's all I gotta say. Now there were some good points. There were some good points. Um, you know, Cleveland as a city was, you know, they showed a lot of love to fighters from, from their home state. Stipe, super, you know, raucous reaction when he came out. But I also felt that they didn't they didn't have a full appreciation for MMA like a lot of other towns. And sometimes they, they're, the, crowd, the crowd interactions weren't as good as we're used to seeing. And, you know, make, take that for what it's worth. But like I said... The fight was good. The title fight was good and ugly. But there were other good moments also. Uh, Drew Dober's finish and and his and his performance overall was was solid. Man, I was I was blown away by 
by how good Dober looked in that fight. Also, Yancey Medeiros, uh, beautiful rear naked choke of, um, you know, Spencer, Sean Spencer was tremendous. I was, I was like, damn, you know, that was a really, really smooth, uh, execution by Yancey Medeiros and definitely one of those good moments that I had to, you know, I definitely had to acknowledge. I also wanted to discuss and, and this fight, you know, I found it to be very good for a lot of different reasons. Betch Cohea and Jessica I, Jessica I, you know, Cleveland product, Betch Cohea, pretty much, uh, you know, uh, one of one of those dangerous, one of those dangerous Brazilians in the sport that can go out there and have a stellar outing, an aggressive outing, but can also go and lose in just as an impressive fashion. And I got to say, you know, Betch Cohea was, you know, Jessica I got in her face, pushed her at the weigh-ins, uh, really, really aggressive. And Betch Cohea, I think instead of Jessica I getting in her head, she ended up firing her up. And it was it was it was a crazy fight. Uh, it could have gone either way. I mean, Jessica I could have got it just as easily as Betch Cohea, but I think uh, Betch Cohea pushed the pace a bit more, especially in the third round. But that fight could have gone either way. Betch took the victory via split decision, but it was definitely one of the high points of a very very crazy crazy card. Also, uh, Jessica Andrade, Joanne Calderwood. I'm a fan of JoJo Calderwood. I liked her from The Ultimate Fighter. I thought she was going to come in there and do it. Jessica Andrade surprised the shit out of me by choking out Joanne Calderwood with a guillotine choke in the first round. It was it was crazy. It was a really, really tight choke. Um, really impressed. Jessica Andrade definitely impressed me. You know, she's ranked number six in the division for a reason. And it definitely showed a uh, beautiful, beautiful performance from her. Uh, I also wanted to talk about Uriah Faber's fight with Jimmy Rivera. Um, a lot of people were talking about Rivera and the fact that, you know, he came in with an incredible win streak. Um, a lot of people didn't want to fight him, according to some of the press that Faber gave. And Faber looked, you know, he, he definitely tried to, to push the pace in that fight, but Rivera's striking was on another level. He looked really good in that fight. And even though Faber lost, he lost to a guy that definitely was the real deal that's for damn sure. Now, as I said, the the card overall was just very weird, very funky. I, you know, as I watched it, I said to myself, I'm like, damn, you know, it was had I ordered this card for 60 bucks in HD, it would have been, you know, it would have been one of those things where I would have kind of felt let down. But watching it with a group of people, uh, myself, Jimbo Slice, my, you know, my wife and uh, uh another another young lady that was in attendance we um you know it's it, it was one of those fight cards that is cool to watch with friends and i and i really thought it was i really thought it was it was it was great in that capacity had i watched it at home i probably would have been pissed off about a lot of stuff but it was cool to watch it amongst friends and sometimes sometimes you need that you need to have people to just bounce the conversation off of i mean nothing nothing was cooler than seeing that Verdum Liu Kang kick and all of us going, oh, you know, like it was, you know, that that camaraderie and that excitement. It was it was cool for that. Um, with regards to fight bonuses, fifty thousand dollar bonuses were handed out. Jessica Andrade got a uh, a fifty thousand dollar bonus, which was well deserved considering how uh, her submission victory on JoJo Calderwood. Yancy Medeiros also took a performance uh, performance bonus fifty thousand for his. Uh, rear naked choke finish and fight of the night. Stipe Miocic, Alistair Overeem. 
I don't know about that. I would have gone Faber Rivera. I would have even gone I and Betch Cohea for fight of the night only because of Overeem fucking running around the cage like a track star. I was, you know, I was, I was really annoyed with that, but those were the bonuses that were handed out. In terms of fight salaries, as I was saying uh, before, CM Punk walked out with a $500,000 payday versus Mickey Gall, who took home $30,000, and that included a $15,000 win bonus. But the guy who ended up getting the biggest payday was Alistair Overeem, who got paid $800,000 versus Stipe Miocic's $600,000, and Stipe had no win bonus. Verdum had a three seventy five. You know, $375,000 payday, which included a $125,000 bonus versus Travis Brown, who was paid $120,000. Now, again, a case can be made that CM Punk was paid $500,000. Why? As I said, you know, managers negotiating, they, they were paying for the name, they were paying for the buy rate, and until we see how many people tuned in to watch that fight, we're not we're not going to have we're not going to have a, a verdict as to whether that investment was sound but you know there were guys on this card I'll give you an example Sean Spencer made $17,000 Drew Dober uh made $38,000 that included a $19,000 bonus and his opponent Jason Gonzalez took home $10,000 as I've said before these payouts versus the payouts of say boxing are you know obviously it's a drop in the bucket versus boxing and people don't don't understand that you got to pay for your camp you got to pay for uh your coaches you got to pay for your cornermen you're obviously going to be taxed for that money it's it's a crazy crazy fight game and i can understand why so many fighters were were annoyed about get you know cm punk making $500,000 but a lot of fighters were very vocal on social media and um you know, some fighters were, were, were angry and upset, which is understandable. And then other fighters were saying that you too could make $500,000 if you can put asses in seats. And there's, a, there's an argument for both sides. There, there's definitely an argument for both sides. And for me personally, this is how I see it. The sport of mixed martial arts, for as much as we don't want to compare it to professional wrestling, there are a lot of parallels and a lot of similarities. Let me let me break it down a little further. Think about the WWE. You have your upper tier guys, your main eventers. You got your mid carters. You got your your openers, and you know you have the women of your 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 female performers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There is a pecking order. There is a hierarchy. There is uh, an expectation that the guys who put asses in seats are the guys that are going to get pushed. This applies both in terms of the people that are tuning in, the merchandise that's being sold, and the people that are watching pay-per-views. If you are not a draw, either on television for ratings or merch, etc., etc., then the company is not going to take you or your career as seriously as you would like or the fans would like. Simple as that. How many times do we go... And, and many of us will be like, oh, you know, X wrestler deserves an opportunity. X wrestler does this. X wrestler does that. Yet, you know, nobody's buying his merch or nobody's tuning in to see his matches, etc., etc. You know, uh, 
Dave, Dave in the chat says Punk and Overeem were only, were the only reasons I watched. And obviously, Overeem being an MMA performer and a fighter, you, you know, he's a household name. People are going to tune in. But notice what I said. Punk and Overeem were the only reasons I watched. And if you go and you talk to casual MMA fans that tuned in for maybe the first or second time, if they're wrestling fans, they're going to say, I tuned in to what CCM Punk and I stayed for everything else. I know guys that, that only got into MMA after seeing Brock Lesnar fight for the first time and they were hardcore wrestling fans. At the end of the day, it's what brings you to the dance that matters. And if what brings you to the dance is a guy who is fighting with a 0-0 record, then the UFC has made a sound investment. And that's also dependent on the buy rate. Now, am I saying that CM Punk should fight on a pay-per-view card ever again? No. CM Punk, at best, maybe on free TV. Maybe as an opener for the pay-per-view. But placing him so high up the card, I wouldn't do. But again, there's that curiosity factor. There's that the necessity to see if, you know, this guy's going to go in there and his tra- and his career is going to transition the same way anyone else's has trans. Well, let me rephrase that. Has tra- that the same way other pro wrestlers have transitioned. You know, Bobby Lashley, who wrestles in TNA, fights for Bellator. Nobody really talks about Bobby Lashley because nobody gives a fuck about TNA. And the people that do watch Bellator are hardcore fight fans who look at Bobby Lashley as a pro wrestler encroaching on their territory. But Lashley's not a terrible fighter either. He wasn't great when he came to when he came in, but Bobby Lashley did have a wrestling pedigree. He fought amateur fights first before even being on Bellator, on Bellator's radar. Is it right? Is it wrong? At the end of the day, you got to you got to look at it this way. And I've said it before. You got to be marketable you got to put asses in seats, and you got to be a compelling personality. If you don't have any of that, the organization isn't really going to give a fuck about you. The Diaz brothers talked about this on, on, on a number of occasions, and it wasn't until they started really being over the top and fucking crazy that a lot of people took notice. I know guys that got into MMA because of the, the Diaz brothers' craziness. They're like, yo, man, those Diaz dudes are fucking bananas, man. I want to always watch them fight. Because they just they bring they bring it, and as a fan of mixed martial arts, I'm I'm happy to see more people tuning in. And if they're tuning in because of a guy like CM Punk, or Brock Lesnar, or the Diaz brothers, or Conor McGregor, or Chael, or any fighter for that matter, then I welcome you with open arms because you're helping the sport grow, even casually. Because you know what, you're paying for that event. Possibly, you might be buying that merch. You might be talking about it. You're, you're contributing to the narrative. You're helping the sport grow. Same thing with professional wrestling. You know, I, we went to a, to a Lucha Libre event uh, this past weekend, and I'll get into that more, you know, more during the, the wrestling segment. But again, we went there. We're supporting that organization. We're supporting those performers, those indie performers, because the guy that you may have watched wrestle in a bingo hall, in a gym, is going to be the guy that's going to have a t-shirt that's going to cost $25 with a, with a witty catchphrase. Same thing with MMA. I always tell people, don't let yourselves, and I got to quote Bloodstain Lane, who, who had a great term for this, which was Zufa Zombies. The UFC is not the only game in town. 
There's Bellator. There's World Series of Fighting. There's Ryzen. There was Dream. You know, in the old days, you had Strike Force. You had WEC. Uh, you have Invicta, which is the, the women's promotion. There's plenty of ways and plenty of opportunities for you to, to, to become a fan of a particular fighter. With the recent sanctioning of MMA across the board, including here in New York State, which has proven to be a gift and a curse, there's, there's plenty of ways for you to support the sport. And like I said, if it takes a part-time wrestler to bring you there, so be it. And with that, everybody's talking about you know CM Punk's payday and asses in seats. Well, I'm going to tell you something which is bananas. MMA Fighting reports that the Conor McGregor-Nate Diaz UFC 202 card did 1.6 million buys, which, according to their their article, is fifty thousand dollars above. Um, excuse me, fifty thousand more than the record set by UFC 196, which was originally headlined by McGregor and Nate Diaz. Obviously, you know the buy rate is still being tallied. But as of right now, it looks like the previous, the, the, the second fight between Diaz and McGregor eclipsed their first fight, which was considered a record-breaking card for the organization. Ladies and gentlemen, that alone reinforces what I just said. Whether you love Conor McGregor or you hate him or you love Nate Diaz or you hate him, the UFC has a fucking gold mine there. Each guy has a victory. There's always the possibility of a third fight. And if and when that happens, people will tune in in droves. Because this is the tiebreaker. Who, who, will, be the, who will be the guy that will be able to talk the most shit? And I hate to say it. You know, Conor McGregor talks a lot of shit. But to have a record-breaking buy rate, excuse me, fighting a guy with no belt on the line is fucking insane, you know? And even though the UFC doesn't report on their pay-per-view numbers, it is crazy that that may turn out to be the case. And again, people complain about McGregor and good or bad or whatever the case may be. He puts asses in seats. People tune in. And in the business of MMA, much like in the business of pro wrestling, that is a big driver. You put asses in seats... You sell merch, we're going to try and bend over backwards to give you whatever you want, good, bad, or otherwise, until somebody comes along and replaces you. I say this with pro wrestling all the time. There's, you know, X amount of hours on TV. Yes, there should be less backstage segments. Yes, there should be less lame shit on, uh, during Raw and SmackDown or whatever the case may be. But on the same token, this is a competition. And if the guys you want to succeed aren't succeeding... Yes, part of it is creative, part of it is management, but part of it is them not taking the initiative to fight for their spot, because that does happen too. Simple as that. Anyway, switching gears, I did want to mention that a uh, a retired UFC heavyweight is coming out of retirement, but it may not be with the, well, let me rephrase that, it won't be with the UFC. And that, and that man, ladies and gents, is Shane Carwin. As many of you know, Shane Carwin uh, pretty much took Brock Lesnar to the limit and for all for all intents and purposes, whooped Brock Lesnar's ass. And if Brock wouldn't have secured that choke to, to secure the victory, Shane Carwin would have derailed the Brock Lesnar train. Well, 
It looks like he is coming out of retirement, but it will not be with the UFC. Uh, Shane Carwin last fought at UFC 131 in June 2011, where he lost to Junior Dos Santos via unanimous decision. Where the big man goes remains to be seen, but I'm sure that Bellator will welcome him with open arms, as will World Series of Fighting or any of the other smaller promotions. I think Bellator would be a good fit for Shane Carwin, uh, an incredibly talented fighter, lightning and, and thunder in his fists. I think he would be a great asset in any divi- in any organization, and I'm really bummed that the UFC didn't even give him an opportunity to uh, you know, say farewell to the promotion at minimum. But we'll see where he ends up. Of course, once we get news of that, we will share it with you guys. Our next UFC event is going to be UFC 204 with Michael Bisping and Dan Henderson for the middleweight title. Uh, for many, you know, for Dan Henderson, this is being looked at as his final fight, his retirement fight. Um, I have a feeling that if he defeats Bisping, that will not be the case. But in addition to that, this card sold out in a record six minutes, which again shows you that Bisping fighting in the UK is a big fucking deal. When the fight sell when the fight sells sells out in six minutes. Also, Dan Henderson being, uh, you know, the 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 opponent is a big factor. Other fights on that card are Vitor Belfort, Gegard Mousasi, which I think is going to be a good fight. I think that Gegard Mousasi is going to run through uh, Vitor Belfort, Jimmy Manua, Ovin St. Prue, Ruslan Magomedov was originally going to be taking on Stefan Struve, but he had to withdraw from the fight due to staff infection. So. Daniel Omielzak, I'm going to mess up this guy's name, Daniel Omielzak will step in. I probably just bludgeoned that poor guy's name. Um, Arnold Allen's taking on Murad Bektik. Uh, Yuri Alcantara is taking on Brad Pickett. Uh, definitely a solid fight for uh, solid fight card for UFC 204. Record-breaking number, especially with the, have it, with the card selling out in six minutes. Um... I got to say, without giving any predictions, I'd love to see Dan Henderson capture gold one last time. But I also know that Bisping is on another level, on another gear. And he's definitely looking to uh, get revenge on that vicious knockout that Henderson delivered. So we'll see what happens. I'm going to tune in to see this fight either way. I'll probably wander into the UFC gym uh, to see what the deal is. Um David says, Hendo is the Ric Flair of MMA. He'll never retire. You know what the worst part is, man? I'm inclined to believe you, but I think that Hendo realizes, obviously with the the banning of TRT and stuff like that, that it's it's not the same anymore. Not that Hendo was ever a cheater at all. On the contrary, he was always pretty much by the book, even with the TRT stuff. I just think that the sport is evolving and I respect the fact that he that he knows that if it's his time, he's going to go out on his terms. But if he is going to go out and it's going to be in a title fight, I'd like to see him go out winning it. But we'll see what happens. UFC 204 is October 8th. So mark it down on your calendars for what is sure to be a memorable, memorable night. Now, last week, I, I expressed my excitement about the potential fight between Robbie Lawler and... Donald Cerrone at UFC 205, November 12th, Madison Square Garden here in New York City. But unfortunately, it will not be happening. Uh, Robbie Lawler withdrew from the fight. Um, Reasons that have not been revealed yet. 
But uh, he did withdraw, so Donald Cerrone has no opponent as of yet. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Hopefully somebody will step up to give the Cowboy a good fight. Also uh, happening at UFC 205, Rashad Evans will be fighting Tim Kennedy. Rashad Evans making a debut at middleweight, uh, which is going to be very interesting to see. I've always felt that uh, Rashad Evans was a small heavyweight when he was in The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, he was a small light heavyweight. I think at 185, he's gonna he's gonna fare well. And I think going in there with um, you know the armed forces, Tim Kennedy is gonna be a, a a crazy crazy fight. Really really curious to see how Rashad Evans uh, keeps his power when he drops down to 185. I think his speed definitely will be there as it always has been because that's one thing he's got fast hands, uh, really great wrestling. And I think it's going to be an exciting fight, man. I'm really looking forward to seeing that fight when it goes down this November. Now, the last bit of news I wanted to talk about was what I had mentioned earlier about Alistair Overeem and something that Joe Rogan put out. And, um, you know, Joe Rogan went on Twitter recently and he said that it's time for a change in fight policy where he personally would not like to conduct fight in- post-fight interviews on guys that have been knocked out. And the reason is because, obviously, you know, your brain is scrambled. You might have a concussion, et cetera, et cetera. Now, obviously, this all stems from Overeem's post-fight interview where he was saying that, you know, Stipe tapped. And a lot of people, you know, were really giving Joe Rogan the business. Like, damn, dude, why'd you have to push the issue if you knew that the guy had gotten knocked out? Um, You know, it was it was crazy because a lot of people when I saw it, you know, I was like, damn, what the fuck is Alistair Overeem talking about? He didn't he didn't tap out at all. Um, you know, I think that Rogan poses a very interesting and very compelling. Um, he, he let me rephrase that. He has very compelling reasons why why, you know, post fight interviews on guys that have been knocked out just shouldn't happen. And I have to agree. I think that if you get knocked out, you're trying to get your bearings, especially if you were just a victim of a vicious knockout. And to push that, to put the fighter in that spotlight, to put the the interviewer in that spotlight, it's just unfair to both guys. I mean, Alistair Overeem was knocked out in a pretty vicious fashion. I mean, the ground and pound from Stipe, Overeem's head bounced off the mat. He needed three or four people to help him get up. And I just felt that, you know, interviewing the loser of the fight was, you know, I'm not a fan of that to begin with, as you know, regardless of who it is, because emotions are running high. You're upset, especially if you lost in devastating fashion. You may not have all your your mental facilities and to to be put on that sort of a spotlight. It's just it's just not fair to the to, to the loser and not fair to the interviewer. And to that point, I agree with Rogan's assessment. I think that maybe. It's not it's not the right thing to do, because right now, let's say let's say Alistair Overeem had a concussion. You know, he he suffered a concussion. He was, you know, feeling the effects of it. He wasn't he wasn't fully, you know, fully in control of his mental facilities. Uh, At the end of the day, you just made that guy look like an asshole, you know, as 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 a guy that was strictly doing his job. Now, I'm not saying that was the case. I'm not saying it was right. I'm not saying it was wrong. I'm just saying that Joe Rogan posed a very, very interesting argument. And a lot of people, like I said, they really were very vocal about, 
why were you pushing and pushing and you know you made Overeem look bad? Um, it's it it's it's really crazy, but I, I got to agree, man. I I'd rather have just a quick post fight interview with the winner and then we move on to the next thing, or take it a step further, no interviews. I'll tell you why. You have these interviews. Some of these guys are on the spot. They're not really good at speaking, you know, in public, and they just say whatever it is. And before you know it, people are looking at them like, wow, who the fuck decided to give this guy a microphone? And most of the time, it's like, hey, this guy won. Check out my after party at such and such club. I want to thank God, my coaches, blah, 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 blah. Hey, little kid who I have, I love you, you know, kisses, blah. We, we know. We know what it is. I understand it's part of the sport, but do we really need it? Like, if you cut out post-fight interviews, you could probably shave off half hour, maybe more. I, I mean, think about it. When a guy comes out and he does one of those long-winded post-fight interviews, I want to thank God, my coaches, my mom, my brother, my dog, my nutritionist, the guy who let me sit and upgrade my ticket to first class, blah, blah, blah. 15 minutes have passed. And nobody gives a shit. I'm being honest. The crowd doesn't care. The crowd, they'll be like, yeah, or boo, and that's it. But especially for guys that have been choked out or knocked out, don't do it. Don't put those guys there. It's just not fair. Like, even Mickey Gall defeating CM Punk. You know, Punk tapped pretty quickly. But it's like, all right, you interviewed him. He's emotional. He's all fucked up. You know, like, do we care? Like, unless you're saying, I'm retiring. And even then, you could just be like, can I get two minutes? You know, you could tell them, and they'll let the guy know, hey, you know, we want to, you know, the fighter wants to talk to the crowd real quick. Boom. You do it. But I think that if you remove post-fight interviews, no one would shed a tear. And I can't blame them. And for, you know, for Alistair Overeem, like I said, I wasn't a fan of the running. Definitely wasn't. And until we know for sure... I wasn't a fan of him saying that that Stipe tapped when he didn't because that's just it just wasn't cool. You know, it's like, dude, he he didn't tap at all. But like I said, I'm going to put an asterisk there because if he you know, if he was suffering from any sort of a concussion or he still wasn't he didn't have his wits about him. I'm I'm willing to give him a pass, but I'm not going to give him a pass for him being essentially Usain Bolt in the fucking cage. You're not getting a pass there. You're not gonna get a you're you're not gonna get a pass for essentially playing dodgeball in the octagon. Can't do that. But what Joe Rogan said, I can I can get behind. I can agree with. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what if if what Joe Rogan said, if if anybody, you know, gives it any thought and if it's moved forward. But um with that said, that bit of news is actually actually no. Let me rephrase that. I did want to talk about one other story. And this story was brought to my attention um, originally by Jimbo Slice uh, because he is a uh, he's a boxing fan. And as many of you know, I was super excited about MMA being sanctioned in New York State. As a fan of the sport, I want to be able to enjoy mixed martial arts, whether it's from the UFC or Bellator or a smaller promotion at a venue of my choice, you know, legally. Anyway, the only problem is that MMA did get sanctioned in New York, but there were some concessions that were made. And those concessions ended up affecting boxing in New York City. The reason being because, like I said, in April, the New York State Assembly legalized MMA here in New York. And as a result of that 
part of the bill included higher insurance rates for all combat sports. So when MMA was signed into law here in New York City, it was signed with the provision and and the uh, the the exchange that insurance rates would be higher for combat sports. Now, combat sports insurance rates, according to a piece I was reading from ESPN, vary from ten thousand to fifteen to fifty thousand dollars for general medical coverage per fighter on each card. Which obviously it's still a lot of money if you got eight to ten fighters on a card. But it's, it, you know, obviously you're going to recoup that money with concessions, sales, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, now that MMA was signed in New York State, the bill made it mandatory for fight, for fight promoters to have $1 million minimum for each fighter in the event that a fighter suffers traumatic brain injuries. Now, obviously, I can understand the the necessity to protect the fighters but a million dollars is fucking insane insane think about that four fights alone is four million dollars a million dollars per fighter even and, and and think about this and we're not even talking about high profile cards with guys that that you know are household names i'm talking about amateur fights guys that are just trying to get their 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 name on the map you need a million dollars the problem with this, obviously, besides the fact that promoters won't be able to afford, won't be able to put on shows here in New York City, is the fact that now they're going to have to take their business elsewhere. So the days of, of boxing fans seeing fights at MSG, the Barclays, are no more until things change. You know, the increase in insurance costs is obviously going to be passed on not only to uh, the consumer, but it's also going to be obviously something that's going to hurt the promoters because if they have to go and pay the million, you're not going to be able to put a 12-fight a card together or a 10-fight card together. It's going to have to be small, and even then, they're not even going to want to do it. So what's happening is, you know, uh, Jimbo Slice was telling me that fighters are, they got to fight in Jersey, they got to fight in, in other states, just because it's cheaper to be insured in those states. And while I am not personally, you know, a boxing aficionado, I'm by no means a boxing expert. I, I feel that at the end of the day, we need every sport. Every sport has its fan base. And as a New Yorker, boxing, boxing is, you know, the sweet science. If you look at New York's history and all the legendary boxing cards that people have talked about, they have happened here in New York City, and to and to hear fighters not be you know not be able to fight in front of their hometown, especially New York you know New York City based fighters, is is sad. Now I understand that MMA you needed to make some concessions, blah blah blah, but why would you want to increase the insurance for traumatic brain injuries if they've already if they're already being covered in boxing? And the reason I say this is, in MMA, yes, you're fighting with four-ounce gloves. But if you wanted to make it that it was 75000 to to 100000 for insurance, okay, the gloves are smaller. The probability for injury is there. But I just, I just felt that, that it was excessive. It was excessive. You know, I understand that, they, that they're trying to do that. They're trying to protect the fighters from traumatic brain injuries, and I totally understand that. But it's... Um, it's a big problem. So if you are a boxing fan, 
especially amateur boxing in New York City, and you're wondering why you're not able to watch it, whether it's at MSG or the Barclays, it is unfortunately uh, a byproduct of MMA being sanctioned in New York State. And for that, my friends, fellow boxing fans, I apologize. I feel, I feel, you know, I feel terrible because amateur boxing and boxing at the Mecca and boxing at, at the Barclays, it's, it's as New York as it gets. And I'm not, again, not talking about big cards, not talking about, you know, Canelo or Triple G or, you know, Manny Pacquiao or any of these guys. I'm talking about fighters on the come up that were, were fighting on undercards and in front of smaller crowds or, you know, boxing at the Barclays or Sunday night, Saturday night fights at uh, Madison Square Garden. Those are the guys that are being affected. Now, is there a chance for that to change? Sure. But with all the lobbying that the UFC did, a lot of palms got greased to get this done. And I feel that uh, part of the palms that were greased were insurance companies. And I think that, that like I said, that was a, that was a uh, you know, part of, part of the Part of the icing on the cake to get the deal done was to fuck everybody else, which as a, as, as a fan, it's, it's genuinely on, it's genuinely unfortunate. We can only hope that, you know, they revisit this, they change it. They make some concessions to allow boxing to thrive in New York state, New York city for that matter. But I don't see it happening anytime soon. And I had meant to, I, I you know, I had meant to talk about this last week. And I didn't have the prep work for it, but after reading the ESPN piece on it and talking about it with Jimbo Slice, I figured it would be it was important to let those of you know, especially if you are fans of boxing in New York City and are wondering why no boxing has been announced. Ladies and gents, that's why I will put a link to the ESPN piece in the show notes for this episode and uh, you guys can read it for yourselves. All right. That bit of news is going to wrap up the MMA for this episode of MTR. Let us switch gears and jump into some wrestling, shall we? This past Sunday was the SmackDown Live Backlash pay-per-view event, and um, it really wasn't that good. I hate to say it, it really wasn't. There were some parts of it I enjoyed, but as a whole, it, it, it showed a lot of glaring holes in, in the roster split at this moment. I'm sure that will change going forward, but there were certain things I just wasn't a fan of. In any case... Um, I want to talk about some of the matches. I want to talk about the, um, let me, let me, let me look at it this way with backlash. And some people are going to, going to agree with this. Some people aren't. I felt that I understood what SmackDown was trying to accomplish. And I understood what the WWE was trying to accomplish. I just felt that maybe it was too soon for individual pay-per-views. You know, I, I, what it's like was it really necessary did we need brand specific pay-per-views now obviously people are going to be like yeah man you know we needed them but did we really i'm i'm being honest did we really need them i could have i could have waited a month or two and just settled for raw smackdown nxt cruiserweight classic etc you know but hey it is what it is in any case 
I want to go through some of the matches, share my thoughts. I was going to report the bugs on each of them, but too much stuff this week drags the dragging the wrestling segment out. So I want to go through the matches real quick, share my thoughts and move on. So I want to talk about the women's title match because obviously we were crowning our first SmackDown women's champion. Now, last week I said that we had essentially two choices, Becky Lynch or Nikki Bella. As much as we like Naomi, it wasn't happening. It wasn't. So, you know, Natalia, Alexa Bliss, Nikki Bella, Carmella, Naomi, Becky Lynch, of course, were the participants. The match itself was okay. And I'll tell you why. It was okay because you had some good wrestling in, in, you know, in a match that was essentially almost 15 minutes. I genuinely want to say that there were 10 minutes of real wrestling and five minutes of stalling outside of the ring. You know, it just, it just felt very disjointed. And I see it because you're looking at these matches and you're looking at these women and you have a couple of real wrestlers, real veterans, and then you have a couple of girls that still need work. Carmella, we're looking at you. I like Carmella. I think Carmella's a, a solid wrestler, has the tools to be has the tools to be good in the future. Does she need to be in any sort of a title match now? Absolutely the fuck not. And as I tell people that that talk to me about this match, I say it all the time. When they were in NXT, you were able to mask a lot of these you know, imperfections because you had editing, NXT was was brief, and the the quality of competition was on the same level. In this match, we have good wrestlers in Becky Lynch, Natalia, Naomi to a degree, and Nikki Bella to a degree. Alexa Bliss isn't terrible. Not at all. Carmella needs help. And the thing is that by mixing by mixing these elements together, the match really was disjointed. And we all knew, like I said, that it was going to be Becky Lynch or Nikki Bella. And I can be genuinely happy that it wasn't Nikki Bella. Genuinely happy because, all right, you came back, you were injured, you know, no necessity. You know, Dave, David says, move Carmella to Raw and page Nia Jax to SmackDown. I could agree with that. If anything, I would probably move Carmella to Raw, pair her with Enzo and Big Cass, which is not a bad thing, and maybe bring Paige to SmackDown. I wouldn't bring Nia Jax to SmackDown because I think they're really trying to build Nia Jax up as a as a marquee talent, and I think that for the Raw brand, that's fine. We can only hope that SmackDown gets an equally impressive, you know, larger uh, women's competitor to fill that void. But I understand why they, you know, Nia Jax is on raw, but I definitely, I, you know, I definitely would like, I would have traded Carmella for page. I would have put Carmella with Enzo and big Cass, couple of six person tag matches, let her get her feet wet, let her adjust, work with some talent and not, you know, not be one of the, the pillars of a division that's still growing. Now slick says Nia Jax is going to steamroll whoever is champ. I agree with that, and I think that that's something that the company is going to do. But it has to be done in a way that doesn't hurt whoever her opponent is. And I say this not in terms of physical hurt, but just in terms of the long game. I like Nia Jax. I think Nia Jax has tremendous potential. I hate the fact that they dress her like Eggplant Wizard from Kid Icarus. I hate it to to, to you know unparalleled degrees. But I also understand that... 
you know, you want to build your own Awesome Kong. I understand it. You know, Awesome Kong is a unique and very, very special talent. And you want to replicate that. And if you can replicate it in-house, then so be it. But in terms of this women's match, we really saw the flaws in the SmackDown women's roster. Now, this is partially because, obviously, the, the roster is spread thin. Um, David says, hence moving Nia to SmackDown for now so she doesn't have to fight jobbers. You know what it is? I don't, I don't, I don't feel that there's a, a necessity for the squash matches, but I do feel that Nia Jax, obviously, the, the last squash match that she did was to set up her and Alicia Fox, which I'll get into later on, but, to what Slick said, she's she is the female Braun Strowman. And I understand why, you know, there is a necessity for squash matches. I really do. But like I've said in previous episodes, you don't want it to be a crutch. You don't want to use that as a crutch for your performer because what's going to happen is you risk them getting exposed by more credible opponents. Nia Jax has no, she, there's, she's never going to be exposed. She she held her own in a match with Bailey. She looked good in a match with Asuka. Am I a fan of the, you know, the big woman offense that she has? Not really, but I also understand that you got to work with what you got. And that's what they want her to do. Is it right? Is it wrong? Who knows. But I felt that, you know, the SmackDown Women's Division definitely needs uh some additional some additional bodies in there because you know, when you put all of these women together, you can definitely see the flaws in in a lot of them. That's all I'm saying. The uh, the match between Baron Corbin and Apollo Cruz was about as good as you would expect. I you know I kind of feel that they kind of lost uh, the initiative with Baron Corbin. I think partially because of the injury that Kalisto sustained, but I also feel that it was not the right move to sacrifice a guy like Apollo Cruz just for the sake of keeping Baron Corbin strong. I say this because Apollo Crews, he's one of those guys that needs every win that he can get because he's not a guy that they're putting on the microphone every week. He's athletic, he has the look, he has the tools, but he doesn't have the mic work. And because of that, he needs to be involved in feuds that can make him better. You know? I'm not a fan, I I wasn't a fan of, of, you know, sacrificing Apollo Crews to the lone wolf. I genuinely was not. The, um... The second chance match for the for the you know the SmackDown tag team titles with the Usos and the Hype Bros was really good. I was thoroughly impressed with the work that was put together by both teams. Mind you, I hate 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 Mojo Rawley, but the match definitely worked. It did a really good job of of solidifying the Usos as heels. I liked a lot of the offense that they used. I liked the uh, the new heelish move set that the Usos are bringing to the table. And I think that if you're going to build a tag team division around guys like American Alpha and some of these teams, I think that the Usos definitely have the tools to carry the division as the heels of the division. Thoroughly impressed with that match. Um, You know, we knew that it was probably going to be the Usos, and I was, you know, I was thoroughly impressed with it. And uh, David says in the chat that Corbin needs a mouthpiece. I agree 100%. I would have liked to have seen Corbin be a Heyman guy, but that's wishful thinking, but I think that would have definitely been cool. The IC title match, minus the subtle dig at CM Punk and his fight with Mickey Gall, I felt that the match itself was really, really good. 
I was not a fan of the the ending with Maurice and the interference, but I felt that the match itself, you know, I, I, I for the match itself, I I thought that the guys, you know, they're 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 good friends, they work well together, and these are two guys that I can probably watch wrestle for for a title on a consistent basis because they always bring something different to their matches. A guy like the Miz. Like, like I've said before, you know, I was never a huge Miz fan, but I also acknowledge the fact that every, every week, every pay-per-view, every event, the Miz got better. He definitely got better, and I thought his match with Ziggler was a very, very good match. Now, the, uh, the no-holds-barred match between Kane and Bray Wyatt, which occurred obviously as a result of Bray Wyatt attacking Randy Orton, um... It was okay, but I was not a fan of Kane beating Bray Wyatt. As soon as that happened, I screamed at my TV, what the fuck is creative doing? Kane doesn't need to get over at all. Zero, zero necessity. And again, a guy like Bray Wyatt has the tools to carry your brand, whether as a heel or as a face. You're trying to, you know, you want to create the the quote unquote the next undertaker but um you're you're cutting him off at the knees every time and i just when i saw it i was like there was no necessity for that none you could have just as easily had the match end with you know him hitting kane with like the ring bell or some shit but they're they're definitely killing bray wyatt dave i agree 100% um you know i was i was i was annoyed i was annoyed with that ending for for like I said, no need to do that. Zero necessity whatsoever. The um the finals for the tag team title tournament. We knew Heath Slater was gonna win. I mean, you know, unfortunately, you know, where everybody talks about, oh, we got to be surprised. The fact that Heath Slater had to win the tag team titles to get a contract, we knew they were gonna fucking win. I thought that the match itself was really good. I liked, you know, I liked the story that was being told. The crowd is definitely into Heath Slater and Rhino. I, you know, I'm not, I've never been a big Heath Slater fan, but I think he definitely brings more to the table than, say, uh, Bo Dallas. And uh, Slick says for a second, I thought Rhino was going to turn on him. I I agree. I thought it was going to happen, too. I thought they were going to win the belts. Rhino was going to hit him with the gore. And then, you know, they'd come out. Uh, he would sign the contract. Rhino would hit him with a gore again, and that that would kind of set up a little feud with a uh, dysfunctional tag team partners. But um, you never know. To, to your point, Slick, it could definitely call. It could definitely happen. Uh, Dave says I call him turning on Rhino. You never know, dude. You know what's funny with Jack Swagger's arrival on SmackDown. I'll get into that in a minute. I'm I'm gonna give you guys a theory, <laughs> but um, it definitely involves Heath Slater. Uh, in terms of the title match with AJ Styles and Dean Ambrose, it was a really, really good match. Once again, AJ Styles showing why he is one of the premier talents in this business. I was genuinely tired of Ambrose's title reign. I thought that it was it was poor. It wasn't really good. And a lot of people were saying that, you know, Rollins's title reign wasn't good. Uh, Ambrose's title reign wasn't good either. And much like what Slick said, I wasn't a fan of the cheap ending. There wasn't a necessity for, for AJ to kick Dean Ambrose in the balls to win that match. I felt that Ambrose could have just won cleanly. I mean, he could have lost clean, thus solidifying AJ as the guy that when it comes to those big matches, he turns it up to another gear. 
thus reinforcing why he is quote unquote the face that runs the place, you know, or the champ that runs the camp. I um I wasn't a fan of that. I really wasn't. I thought that they they could have done something better. The match itself was phenomenal, no pun intended. Uh like I said, AJ showing why he is one of the best dudes in the business. And don't misunderstand, Ambrose was good too. I just felt I just feel that Ambrose and the title just don't mix because they don't know they don't know what to do with Ambrose. One minute he's like the the funny crazy guy, the next minute he's the crazy guy that talks to himself. They haven't really determined a clear direction. And I've always said if you're going to book Ambrose, you got to book him like Brian Pillman, you got to book him like Stone Cold, an anti-hero, a guy that's just going out there, you know, no friends, no, you know, he he's only looking out for himself and he can turn on you in the blink of an eye and i just feel that that's just a better use of ambrose's talents at least until creative figures out what the fuck they're going to do with him uh slick says ambrose is better as an ic champ i think his ic title run was probably one of his better his better runs thus far i think when he won the title as a member of the shield he was definitely a lot better I just um I just felt that when in a match with AJ it it just it didn't look right the way that it ended. And I agree that it was good that Ambrose did get the title. I agree I can agree with that. All right. So after backlash of course, let's get into Raw. Raw was um Raw was another another one of those moments where it was it was all right. It wasn't good, it wasn't bad, it was okay. You know, the uh the opening interview the the opening segment with uh, Sasha, Bailey, Dana Brooke, and them, it was it was all right. You know, I like that Dana Brooke uh, slapped Charlotte. I think that Dana Brooke would be a good face if you take your time with her. And I kind of feel that there's not enough faces. I mean, you got Sasha and Bailey, but who else is there? I mean, I'm being honest. You got Sasha and Bailey. Who else is there? You got Nia Jax as a heel. You got Charlotte as a heel. But um, you know, I just I just felt that. That it was one of those things where I, I I feel Dana Brooke has tremendous upside. You can book her similar to how you book Beth Phoenix, especially if you actually let her work out and and look how she how she previously looked. Which if you guys have seen her uh, at the Olympia or any of her bodybuilding or fitness stuff, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Um, the match itself was fine. We knew that Sasha Banks was going to win because the story, uh, the compelling story between Charlotte and Sasha has many chapters that still need to be written. And um, I just feel that they mesh very well together. You could have just as easily given it to Bailey, but I think that the narrative between Sasha and Charlotte still, still has some legs. That's for sure. Slick says the mat, the smack was useless when she went begging to Charlotte back in the end. I agree. I was not a fan of what they did with that at all. I think that that should, she should have slapped her. And then when, when, uh, when Charlotte told her to get her bag, she should have been like, no, you can carry your own bags and that's it. But to, to, to do all that and get that pop out of the crowd and then have her groveling back to Charlotte was fucking, was fucking stupid. And I wasn't a fan of that. I wasn't, you know, the Bo Dallas thing, you know, you're talking about a guy who was, you know, who recently was bagged for being intoxicated in a public place. I'm just, I've never been sold on Bo Dallas. I wasn't sold on him in NXT I wasn't sold on him with his Tim Tebow gimmick. I mean, he was okay as part of the social outcast, but like I've said before, you should have put him on SmackDown. 
repackaged him as a member of the Wyatt family and left it at that. I think that Bo and and Bray Wyatt would have worked well together versus Bray Wyatt and and you know stupid ass Eric Rowan who is fucking useless. But it is what it is. Cesaro defeating Sheamus in the best of seven series is not a shocker. We all know this is going to go to seven matches. Um, you know, him winning the match in the UK and him winning the match on Monday, not a big shocker there. Nia Jax murder death killing Alicia Fox, uh, not shocked. I understand why they did it. I thought that it was good to, you know, bring a little bit of personality out of Nia Jax, but again, who cares? Anderson and Gallows taking on Xavier Woods and Kofi Kingston. I knew it was going to end with the club beating the New Day in a non-title match just because you got to kind of give them some momentum going into Night of Champions. Doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing anything good with Gallows and Anderson, but fuck, you got to give them something going in. Uh, Jinder Mahal, you know, namaste changing the channel when he comes on my fucking screen. I'm sorry, but... It's I I don't care. <laughs> I don't I don't give a shit about Jinder Mahal. The fucking guy comes out with the turban. I hate it. He can't just be a red. No, we gotta put the turban on him. And now it's like turban yoga get yogi gimmick, which I've seen done before in TNA with Sanjay Dutt. And Sanjay was was more believable than Jinder Mahal was. And Jack Swagger just came out of nowhere. It's like, oh, Jack Swagger, you're back. No one cares. The crowd goes mild. The um, the Goya brothers, Primo and Epico, their feud with the uh, with the certified G's. Not a fan. Not a fan of what they're doing with them, making them Puerto Rican timeshare salesmen. As a Puerto Rican, I'm like, fuck. You guys can't catch a break at all. I I I'd, I'd take them as the bullfighters at this point. Just because it's fucking terrible. It really is terrible. Um, not a fan. You know, I'm, Enzo, Enzo's wrestling, I've said it before, leaves a lot to be desired. You could get away with it in NXT, but on Raw, it's just, it's like we got it. What we got here? Cup of haters? Cup of haters? It's like, all right, we got it. We got it. You know, I like, I like all of, the mannerisms, I like all the shit, I like the crowd interactions, but I just feel that it's forced. It's very, very forced. And, you know, Primo and Epico, I like them. I think they're great wrestlers. They come from a great family. They would have been better on SmackDown. Um, or in NXT. I would have sent them down to NXT for a little bit, get some momentum, and then bring them up. You know, but... The, the the whole the whole fucking Puerto Rican timeshare gimmick, not not a fan. Not a fan. Dave says he would buy a Puerto Rican timeshare. I'm not gonna lie, man. Puerto Rico is nice. It is nice, but with the fucking Zika virus over there, you you, you they should just sell that. They should sell Zika virus fa- vaccines at this point. Because fucking timeshares, come on, dude. Who does that? Who does it? Anyway, main event, Kevin Owens, Roman Reigns. I liked um, Rollins being a complete douchebag. You're not going to go out there, Rollins. You're not going to go out there and disrupt this match. Yeah, sure, Foley. <laughs> and then fucking Schnarf runs out there, derails the match, costs Roman Reigns the opportunity, and, of course, there's still, they're still the, you know, the punishment. You know, Mick Foley yelling, we're going to have a talk. We're going to have a talk, Seth. I'm like, all right, really? Who cares? Like, what punishment is Seth Rollins really going to get? 
by the way, I do have Seth Rollins pop acquired today. But um, aside from that, I just, you know, I like what they're doing with Seth Rollins. He's kind of this this anti-hero, and you could do a good job with it. We all know that the end game is going to be him and Triple H. We know it's coming, but, um, you know, Slick says take him out of the match. They're, they're not going to take him out of the match, but I'm sure it's going to be something, maybe two out of three falls, some sort of a stipulation. Maybe they'll put Roman Reigns in there as punishment because Seth cost him the match. I still feel it's going to end up being a triple threat because SmackDown is doing a triple threat, and I got to agree with David Foley fucking sucks as a GM. I thought it was going to be cool, and it was cool initially, especially because I I was waiting for Stephanie McMahon to stab him in the back. But then as the week as the as the months as the weeks went on, and he'd come out with his fucking Christmas shirt, I just I just didn't give a shit. I really don't. You could just as easily have triumphed the insult dog. Or Mae Young's fucking the hand that fell out of her vagina as the manager of Raw. And it would be more entertaining than fucking Foley. Which is crazy because Foley's a good performer. He's good on the microphone. He knows how to get the crowd invested. But it's just not working. I don't know why. It just doesn't feel right. Like Daniel Bryan, I can understand. He works. But Foley... It's just like when he gets all like, you're not going to say and question my integrity. And he gets all fucking crazy and yelly. I'm like, all right. All right. We got it. We got it, Foley. This is your serious voice. I don't know, man. I just I just wasn't digging it. But we'll see what happens. We'll see what punishment awaits Seth Rollins. As for Raw itself, it was it was all right. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't great. You know, it was it was it was just there. Slick says it doesn't feel right because Foley is not good sane. He is supposed to be crazy. Um, I, I, I can agree with that. I think a crazier Cactus Jack style Mick Foley would be more entertaining than a wholesome Stephanie McMahon is wonderful Mick Foley. I, I can agree with that. As for SmackDown Live, uh, you know, we got a return match with the Usos and the Hype Bros. Yeah, it was it was all right. Apollo Crews and Baron Corbin, I guess they're feuding now. Uh, Jack Swagger's part of SmackDown. Hooray. Um, I don't know how I felt about his promo. He comes out with the backwards hat looking like Biff from Back to the Future. And yeah, it's not about me. It's about we. We, the people. You know, I'm like, all right. Like like I was saying before, if you're going to put Heath Slater with anybody, I would have put him with Jack Swagger. I don't know why. I think maybe it's the shitty haircuts. But I just think that Slater and Swagger would 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 work as a tag team more than Slater and Rhino. I like Rhino. I think Rhino would be a good enforcer for somebody. But um I think I for I don't know why. I just feel that Swagger I just feel that Swagger and Slater would have been would would be a good tandem. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, we had a number 1 contenders match for the SmackDown Women's title. Uh Alexa Bliss ended up being the victor. I was I wasn't I wasn't mad about this at all. I th- I think Alexa Bliss being in there puts a little fresh blood into the mix. I think you know you got a little bit of that NXT history in there. But I also got to say, um, don't you know don't write off Naomi. I think Naomi has all the tools to be a a, a face for the women's division. The crowd is into her entrance. You know they're digging it. The glowing. If WWE is smart, they'll sell those glowing sunglasses that she has with the scrolling shit. Um, I, uh, I definitely think that she's marketable, she's well-spoken, and she's an incredible athlete. And I think that if anybody else, 
aside from Becky Lynch and Natalia getting the belt at some point should be champion. I think Naomi definitely has the tools. Um, David adds, I think Swagger can be okay on SmackDown. I think so too. I think Swagger's all right on SmackDown. I got no problem with it. Um, I didn't mention Rusev's return on Raw because whatever. We knew he was going to come back and the beef between him and Roman wasn't done. So before anybody says, you didn't talk about Rusev coming back, I just don't give a fuck. You, I, you know what's more entertaining than Rusev on my TV? Rusev putting up social media updates of his second wedding to Lana. Rusev at the beach. Rusev at this hotel. Rusev waiting to play Madden. Rusev, no one gives a shit. Anyway, Heath Slater and Rhino put their tag team titles up against the Ascension. The Ascension just came out of nowhere. I was like, wow, these guys still have jobs, which is fucked up, but it's true. Like, I don't give a shit about the Ascension. I'm like, oh, okay, guys, welcome back. Um, you know, we had the, uh, the John Cena, Dean Ambrose uh, tag team partners at odds against AJ Styles and The Miz. Um, couple of things. The, the opening match, we knew John Cena was going to opening the opening segment for the show. We knew Cena was coming back. I knew Ambrose wasn't going to be a fan, and I knew that we were going to get some 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 great po- promo work from these guys. And the the tag team match was inevitable. As soon as Shane's music hit, I'm like tag team match, and that's what we got. I was actually impressed with what they did with the Miz and having him go out there. I would have rather that there would have been a DQ finish instead of the Miz eating the pinfall. Wasn't a fan of that, but. In terms of what they're doing with The Miz, I definitely feel uh, he has potential, but we'll see what happens. I mean, The Miz definitely, they believe in him because he's, you know, he's, he's held the championship this long, but I don't know where the end game is. You know, is it, is it him and Daniel Bryan and getting Daniel Bryan back in the ring? Like, like who knows at this point? Now, David says Rusev is God and, and uh, Slick says Rusev is dog. To which David adds, I don't know why he entertains me, but he does. Um, Here's the thing. I like Rusev. I think Rusev is an amazing athlete. He has a good presence. But here's the problem. Do we need the cliched uh, foreign foreign invader gimmick? Like, I'm serious. Like, in 2016, why can't a, a, a guy from a foreign land just be a badass? Or have different motivations besides my country's better than yours? I understand that it's easy to get the, you know, the America, the America cheers. Like, yeah, fuck that foreign guy. Like, I understand it's easy to do that, but it's not necessary. It's really not. And that's my problem. I I think Rusev, as an athlete, he moves really well for a big man. I mean, that jumping, uh, that that spinning wheel kick that he does, um, tremendous. When he was doing the cannonball before, you know, KO started doing it. I think, um, you know, I think he, he's an incredible talent. I just feel that the days, the days of the, uh, the foreign heel aren't necessary. They're really not. I don't, I don't think we need the, the, you know, the guy from the foreign country. My country's better than yours. Like that shit was cool back in the day. I understand. Like I said before that it's easy to get people to boo this, the character, but he could just as easily come out and beat up your favorite face and be over. Like, it's not difficult. I mean, you can have a little fun with the with the whole Russian accent, blah blah blah. It's I understand, but it's not it's not necessary. You know, the problem is that 
Rusev is a package deal. In order for Rusev to be effective, you need Lana. Rusev by himself fucking sucks. Hate to say it, but it's true. And um, Lana by herself, package deal. If Lana's not wrestling, she needs to be managing, period. Whether you have her managing foreign wrestlers, like I thought we were going to get with uh, the League of Nations, or you have her with Rusev, it's a package deal. Rusev without Lana, dog shit. Unless, you know, he loses the Russian accent and he just becomes a badass dude, no one cares. Really don't. And Lana, like I said, if she's not wrestling, valets, managers, she's good at that. But separating them is a recipe for disaster. Anyway, those are my thoughts on Backlash, SmackDown, and Raw. Let's talk about the other wrestling news of the week. Obviously, the big one, the departure of Alberto Del Rio, which we knew was happening. Uh, Del Rio uh, got his release from WWE, held a press conference at a Hooters restaurant, which was hilarious. Um, said that he's you know free to work in Mexico, but can start working in the U.S. next month. Uh, he didn't have a 90-day no-compete clause. And I got to say, you know, Del Rio in WWE, he was, he was about as good as you can get. His first WWE run was good because, again, he was essentially Mexican JBL. The crowd was into it. It was dope. When he came back, it was it, he didn't have any. Like, you put him with Zeb Coulter. Then, you know, you create the, the League of Nations. You do nothing with them. And then he's just stuck in mid-card hell. What, what do you expect? In terms of what he was suspended for, a lot of people were wondering what he was suspended for. It turns out he was suspended for TRT. He, um, he actually did an interview with Mas Lucha about it. And he said... Um, he said, of course, it was, you know, about his wellness suspension. He said, the wellness program is one of their rules. I can't call it absurd because when you work for them, you sign a contract. You know that you are subject to their terms. He goes on to say, I don't think it's fair because there's a big difference between people using medication to obtain uh, better physical performance. But then when it's in my case, a testosterone replacement where I'm a 40 year old man and it's a medical matter that I have proof of from my doctor's. I don't think it's something fair, but I come back to the same thing. It's their wellness policy and you have to abide by it. So yeah, that was part of it, but not all of it. There are so many reasons, but it did help me make a decision to say goodbye. See you later. I don't want to be in this company. Now that all that's left for do for me to do is what's giving in, you know, what I have to do in Mexico. Here's the thing. Alberto Del Rio says that he was suspended for TRT. Was he on TRT before? Was he on TRT during? Was he on TRT after? Interesting questions, and I'll tell you why. If WWE wanted him to break up with Paige, and they knew he was on TRT, and he had doctor's documentation, then he should have got a TRT exemption. But I do I do believe, and I could be wrong, but I think that when the whole thing with him and Paige wasn't going away, they were like, oh, well, we can't let you work with you being on TRT. And he was probably like, yeah, but I was on TRT before. And they were like, yeah, well, we're not going to let you do that now. Who knows? I, I got I to gotta give Del Rio some, some credit. The guy, every time he leaves the WWE, he's never locked down to non-competes and bullshit. He's like, yo, I'm out of here. And they're like, see you later. It's, um, it's pretty crazy. You know, it's crazy that Del Rio can get released, get his release, and he's not... He's not shackled 
to a lot of the stuff that performers that leave WWE are shackled to, meaning, you know, non-competes, et cetera, et cetera. Del Rio's like, yo, I'm out of here. I'll be in Mexico next week. So, you know, I, it, 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 I, I gotta, I gotta give the guy credit for pretty much having some, you know, having the balls to, 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 to take it to the company. Now, in terms of, you know, Del Rio as a performer, like I said, you know, I liked Mexican JBL. I feel that his work in Lucha Underground was substantially better than his WWE work. But I also think it's because the Lucha culture and, and the Latino audience respects Del Rio's accolades and accomplishments more than WWE. I think that for WWE, he was a guy, you know, a Latino that can probably mainstream and get over. And that was it. And when they realized that he wasn't as over as they had liked, they stopped giving a fuck about him. I got to say that, you know, if you want to talk about successful Latino performers in WWE, I'm being honest. It's Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero, and Alberto Del Rio. Period. No, I'm talking about, I know Slick says Tito Santana. I'm talking about in the last few years. Legitimate, successful Latino performers are Ray, Eddie, and Del Rio. And I'll say, and I'll, and I'll, let me explain. During the Attitude Era, and, you know, Eddie Guerrero was on in a league of his own, an amazing performer. When Eddie Guerrero passed away, Ray Mysterio kind of ran with the ball. I kind of felt that they gave him the title as kind of just a, uh, you know, so, uh, uh, showing some love to Eddie, but whatever. In any case, Rey Mysterio was probably one of the most over guys alongside Eddie Guerrero. Then you bring Del Rio into the mix. Del Rio started to get over, started to get the crowd invested. You release Ricardo Rodriguez. You release him after the whole racial thing with the social media guy. You bring him back, and then you put him with Zeb Coulter for no reason. Then you put him in the League of Nations, which should have been a badass faction, but again, falls apart. So it's just it just doesn't work. You know, David says WWE style is WWE style isn't good for luchadors. I agree. If we look at the cases of guys that have come to WWE from a lucha background, there's very minimal there's a very minuscule success rate. Like the only guy who has the potential to be successful out of this latest crop of guys is Kalisto. Because Sinkara, I mean, even though Hunico is under the mask, He's a good performer, but they've never really been fully invested in him as a performer. Uh, Andrade Cien Almas, you brought him in. You know he's a he's a you know Magic Miguel and his fucking Magic Mike stripper gimmick that he looks like. He doesn't. He's not wrestling the the lucha style, and he's not really over. So what are you gonna do? It's just it's just one of those things where if you come to WWE, you either gotta be under a mask. Or you got to have an incredible move set, and even then, when you switch your move set to the WWE style, it goes out the window. You know, no way. Jose is another guy. He's over, but he is over because he is a WWE product versus a guy who has a lucha background. Like no way, Jose is in house. He's he's you know he's created in the WWE lab and he's marketed that way and whatever. Is he going to be successful? Sure, because he's created in-house. All these guys that come to WWE from from Mexico, they have to essentially unlearn all of their lucha stuff to work the WWE style. 
and it takes away that mystique that made those guys household names, period. Like Andrade Cien Almas comes in, everybody's excited, you know, we're, we're expecting Lucha Libre, we're expecting high-flying, we barely get that. We barely get it. You, you know, Kalisto, you put him with Sin Cara as the Lucha Dragons, they don't even win the tag team titles. You put the two guys together with an over gimmick that wear masks and they don't win the titles. They don't. And then, to make things worse, you not only bring the cruiserweights to Raw, but the guy who would fit in most with the cruiserweights, you send to fucking SmackDown. How does that make any sense? Oh, we're going to bring the cruiserweights to, to Raw. Okay. So, hey, Kalisto. Why don't we have you on Raw? Oh, yeah, that's right, because we're going to send you to SmackDown for no reason except for Baron Corbin to push his face into the wall for like two weeks straight. Come on, man. And this is going to continue to happen because WWE doesn't know what to do with the Lucha style. They don't. Every guy that comes in, they have to unlearn the Lucha style, keep one or two Lucha spots, and then keep it moving. David says they traded Kalisto for Swagger. Watch. That would have been good, except Swagger said his contract ended on Raw and he got signed for SmackDown. So unless they think that people forgot that, that's what they're going to want to run. That's what they'll probably run with. To your point, I really am hoping that they do that and they trade Kalisto for Swagger. I'd love that. I really would. And then we turn Sin Cara heel and we get a heel mass performer. But, you know, who knows? But I just I just never understood. I under I, you know I got to give Del Rio his props you know he was he was banging Paige they were like yo you got to break up with the young chick and he's like nah and then he's like all right well we're suspending you for TRT he's like okay thanks and then when his suspension's over he's like deuces I'm out of here and he goes back to Mexico or he'll go back to to Lucha and that'll be it simple as that anyway as many of us know with Del Rio's departure all eyes were on Paige who, by the way, got an Alberto Del Rio tattoo that she shared on social media that she then deleted. Everybody thought that Paige was going to be sent packing or, you know, she would get her release, whatever the case may be. But it turns out that is not the case. Paige ended up uh, putting a statement out on social media talking about that, you know, she'll be back on television next week. And she said that she didn't fail a drug test. She explains that it was a procedural issue and that by the time she took the test, it was too late. And as a result, she was issued a suspension. Kind of sounds like what happened, similar to what happened to Eva Marie. Don't know if it's true or not, but who knows? Well, no, in Eva Marie's case, she had the, the she didn't turn in her prescription for Adderall on time. In Paige's case, she just took the test too late. I mean, whatever, could just be smoke and mirrors. But all signs point to Paige being back in WWE's good graces uh, to go back to what David said before, I would trade Paige to SmackDown for Carmella, put Carmella on Raw. But um, I, I got to agree. David says Nia eats Paige on Monday. Probably. I wouldn't even be shocked. Um, so as of right now, as of September 15th, 2016, Paige is still part of the WWE roster and is allegedly going to be on TV next week. Meanwhile, Alberto Del Rio is more than likely heading back to AAA if the stuff I've seen on social media over the last few hours is to be believed. We'll see what happens. In a bit of what-the-fuck wrestling news, and this is insane, Ryback 
is changing his name from Ryan Reeves to Ryback Reeves. So instead of being Ryan Allen Reeves, he is changing his name to Ryback Allen Reeves. Now, we've talked about this before with Stone Cold Steve Austin, who was known as Steve Williams. He legally changed his name to Stone Cold Steve Austin, much like Ultimate Warrior changing his name to Warrior. I understand, you you know, it's a name that puts you on the map. You don't want to give it up. And, you know, the WWE is going to hold the rights to it unless it's your real name. Obviously, WWE is not going to chase you down if you use your real name because it's your real name. Uh, As of right now, um, they're saying that Ryback hasn't officially completed. He hasn't officially completed the name change, but he is definitely going to be changing his name to Ryback Allen Reeves. And he did say that on his podcast. Um, It's, it's crazy. It's fucking insane. But like I said, I understand it's the name that put him on the map. It's the name that made him famous and to give up all that fame to, you know, wrestle as the big guy, which is what he's been doing on the independence. Uh, it'll it'll be like the big guy formerly known as Ryback, which I've seen on a couple of posters. I can understand. It's just fucking crazy that you're going to walk around and your name is legitimately going to be Ryback. Like is Ryback here. Starbucks, uh, caramel macchiato for Ryback. Like, like that, that, that shit is just funny to me. Like, Hey, who ordered the, uh, triple shot latte, triple shot latte for Ryback, Ryback. Ugh, it's just so fucking terrible. But, but, uh, Hey, I, I got to give the guy credit. You know, I know, I know what he's doing. I know what he's doing. I know what he's doing. Just trying to protect that name, trying to keep that nut. I understand it. I mean, is it, is it fucking stupid? Yes, but. It's it's smart. It definitely is smart. That's for damn sure. On the injury side of things, Vince McMahon allegedly tore his quad during doing a squat workout, according to Dave Meltzer. Uh, Vince ended up uh, going into the hospital for surgery, and WWE reported on it and said that he will be back in WWE headquarters on Wednesday as usual. Um, it's uh, it's pretty crazy, you know. It's like oh, Vince tore his quad. And then he's like, oh, I'll be back in the office Wednesday. I understand, you know, you want to you wanna make it out that Vince is, you know, the genetic jackhammer, superior genetics, blah, blah. It's like no one cares. Vince Torres quad, okay. It's like, it's like the, uh, like when Kurt Angle was saying, I, t- I tore my quad last week and I'm back here. Nobody cares. Nobody gives a shit that Vince Torres quad. It doesn't matter. As long as he can yell at people backstage and, and come up with stupid shit every week, it's okay. I don't even think that, that Vince is going to die. I think that when it comes time, they'll be like, you know, Vince, you got a terminal illness. He's going to be like, freeze my body, damn it, and thaw me out when there's a cure. Like, that's the kind of shit. Like, I just see Vince McMahon asking to be frozen till they can find a cure. Like, Vince is going to no-sell death. It's like death is going to come a-calling, and he's going to be like, nope, not today. Like, he, he I, I could see Vince being that type of a dude. Just just so into being in control of everything that he won't even let death claim his body. I'm serious. Vince, Vince is a fucking kook, but yeah, it seems that he, uh, he probably allegedly tore his quad during squats, whatever, man, we all know Vince is on the fucking sauce. And, um, wow. David says Vince is Odin. He won't die. 
He'll just go to sleep. Yes. Vince is fucking Odin. Absolutely. When his time is up, he'll just go to sleep. They'll wake him up in a few years, and Vince will still be running WWE. That is fantastic. If I could give a gold star, I'd give it to you, David. Solid work. Um, last thing to wrap things up, it looks like Night of Champions. Well, Night- Clash of Champions. I've been, conf- I've been saying Night of Champions like every day this week. Clash of Champions is slowly taking shape with a couple of matches already announced. Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins, of course, which may change after Rollins' punishment on Monday. Uh, Raw Women's Championship match, Charlotte and Sasha Banks. The tag team titles will be on the line with the New Day defending against the club. And Sami Zayn and Chris Jericho are also going to be taking place at Clash of Champions. I'm sure that the card will continue to take shape over the next couple of weeks. All right, with that bit of wrestling news out of the way, that is actually going to wrap up the wrestling segment for this week and wrap up our show. So with that, I've given you guys my take on MMA and wrestling. As always, I'd love to hear yours. Feel free to reach out to us on social media at MyTakeRadio or at Rage underscore Works. You can also join the RageWorks Facebook group and interact with the staff there and also share your thoughts on wrestling, MMA, gaming, entertainment, It's an open forum. Feel free to stop by and say what's up. And of course, you can also become a fan of RageWorks on our Facebook fan page, facebook.com forward slash official RageWorks. We post our My Take Radio episodes there. You can interact with us there as well. Last but not least, you can find RageWorks on Instagram, Pinterest, and Snapchat. If you're using any of those platforms and want to interact you can find us there as well. We do have a Google Plus presence. I don't even know if people are really even fucking around on that anymore. I, I go in there occasionally because they got great groups, but um, don't know what's going on. But yeah, you uh, My Take Radio and RageWorks are on Google Plus. Last but not least, of course, archived episodes of this and any other episodes of My Take Radio can be found on RageWorks.net. Head over to podcast, punch in My Take Radio, see all our past shows there. You can also find archived audio episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Now, if you're looking for an archived video, you can find it on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash official rage works. All right, guys, just a reminder, there will be no gaming and entertainment episode of MTR for Thursday, uh, September 15th, as we will be covering an event, but we will be back next week. At 11 p.m. East, 11 p.m. 11:30 p.m. Eastern, 8:30 p.m. Pacific, for the MMA and wrestling edition of MTR on Wednesday. And if you want your fix of gaming and entertainment rants and shenanigans, of course, join us Thursday at 11:30 p.m. Eastern, 8:30 p.m. Pacific for that on Thursday. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. I will see you guys next week. Peace. I'm rich, bitch. <laughs> Oh, folks.